If you have your Bibles tonight, I'd ask you to find Acts chapter number 6. And if, you're, uh, if you happen to be our guest, uh, we just finished the book of the Revelation, and in a lot of ways we're still reeling, and we're just doing a two-part series on deacons because next week we'll have a deacon ordination service, and I'm really looking forward to that. And this week we wanted to, we wanted to look in the scriptures at the whole reason that God uh, raised up deacons to start with, and I, I think it's a fantastic uh, story, and we want to honor it in its context, and we want to see why this gift is still uh, very, very active today. Now, uh, Shannon, how old is your grandmother's house that you're working on? He don't know. 120 years, right? Built around turn of the 18th, 19th century, or 20th century, around 1900, right? I'm, I'm working uh, on my grandma's house uh, yet again. It's around the same age, you know, and working on an old schoolhouse out in Virgilana. It's, it's less than 100 years old. It was built in the late 1920s. And I've just been thinking about this. You know, I've been thinking about working on old stuff. And I've been thinking about, I, I don't really understand this, but all of you know it to be true. What's, what's one of the worst things you can do to a car? Stop driving it. Just let it sit. Uh, and it's, and, you know, I'm telling you, if you just go out and crank it every day, that's not enough. It's something about needing life in it. I mean, like, life, life. And um, one of the worst things you can do with a house is people not live in it. And, uh, and it's really interesting to me that you can have this structure, and if it doesn't have life, the structure breaks down quicker. But if you have life in it, life tends to tear up the structure. If you don't know what I'm talking about, take a ride with me when you leave, and I'll show you how I drive a car, and then you'll... You'll question whether it's sitting still or me driving it is the worst thing for it, you know. Um, if you would have been watching when I pulled up and the parking lot was full, I jumped the curve and drove it up into the field where it's sitting right now because that's what I do. Um, but I've been thinking about these houses, Shannon, you know, this schoolhouse I'm working on. I mean, I really, and you know, it's neat to find stuff that, that was built right. It's very frustrating to find things that weren't built right. And in either case, you know, you want to find things that were maintained well. And it's very difficult when you find something that wasn't what it seemed. Like you open a floor or a wall and, and you're like, oh, this is not great. You know, uh, my house is one of six houses that were built around the same time by the same guy and I've talked to all of my neighbors, and we all agree nothing is standard in them. Uh, nothing is square. Uh, nothing. Uh, and if I named who built these houses, whether well, Shannon knows who built them, he knows the man who built them, he would immediately start laughing. Uh, I'm not going to name it, though, because it seems like I'm putting him down, but I'm not. It, they're, just, they're just wacky. And every time we've gone to work on our house, we're like, what in the world was he thinking when he built his house? Oh, he wasn't. I don't think there's two studs that are the same length. I don't think anything is the same anywhere. And so I've been thinking a lot about old structures lately. Uh, the little that Shannon and Amber have posted on social media about the house they're working on, the, the two buildings that get a lot of my attention, and then, and then one that is half their age that someday seems to be in more frustrating shape than the older structures, the one I live in. And, and some things have come to my mind, right? 
When you build something, the craftsmanship just matters. The quality of materials just matters. Am, am I right or wrong? And then how, does, how do you stir into that mix the sovereignty of God? It certainly needs to be in the mix. Like, you know, why did my house hold up in a storm where houses around me didn't? You know, that's, sometimes that's just the sovereignty of God. It wasn't that my house was better. It was the sovereignty of God. Does that make sense? A few years ago, about 20 years ago, all my neighbors had to dig a new well, and I didn't. That was the sovereignty of God. You know, it just really was. Uh, and, then, and then thirdly, how were they cared for? Um, now, I'm an I'm a old power plant mechanic, paper mill mechanic, and uh, we would say maintenance matters. When you take care of the machinery, it tends to last longer. Uh, if you take care of your car, it tends to last longer. Change the oil when you should, change the brakes when you should, all that stuff. Keep an eye on your, 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 your uh, belts and those things. And if you maintain it, typically it'll last longer. Well, I want to tell you that in the early days of the church, God was building with great quality and craftsmanship. He himself was building it. And he himself was guarding it and keeping it. It was he himself that would allow the church to be scattered, and it was he himself that was maintaining the church. And she was much lived in. Now, what do I mean by that? She had a very wild and disorderly family in her early days, much like she does to this day. The church, the building of God, is occupied by sinners, one and all. And sinners tend to be real sinnery. Have y'all noticed that? We tend to just be real sinnery and sinfully and full of sin. And we tend to be self-centered and selfish. We tend to be full of pride. Yeah, that was the word I meant to use. We tend to, we tend to be kind of tough to live in community together. And so we're often very tough on this structure God has given us. And no, I don't mean the brick and the mortar. I mean the organism of the church tends to be very difficult on the organization. And so what does God do when he looks at his house and sees that his house is on the brink of coming apart? He looks at his house, this early church there in Jerusalem, and the inhabitants themselves are just being themselves. They're being real. What's that new word I just taught y'all? Sinnery. I was seeing who was paying attention. They're being, they're being real sinnery, and they're about to bust the house. Maybe their theme song, their call to worship was, uh, tearing down the house. You, you bunch of sinners who know that song, I see. But what does God do? God sends this amazing gift to these people who, as they have this relatively new structure, built with great quality, great craftsmanship, being cared for by the sovereignty of God, its very first trial is maintained by the goodness of God. Before we even get into the passage, just look at verse number one of chapter six, and it'll tell you exactly what was going on. There was a complaint that arose because some people felt like they were not getting equitable treatment. 
So what does God do? I've always found this to be an amazing passage because what I see here very clearly is God gives the church an incredible gift, gives them the gift of deacons. And I want you, I beg you to see it with me like that tonight. I pray that someone's view of deacons are elevated. I pray your view of deacons becomes more cherished because certainly in that moment and in the life of the church till today, deacons are a gift. Now, some of you have grown up in church and you're thinking of some particular deacon who was not a gift. <sighs> That's why you keep the receipt, folks. Sometimes things that are supposed to be a gift aren't. But frankly, what was God's intent? I believe he was the, his intent was to gift the church. So tonight, in Acts chapter 6, let us see with what our good God does as he maintains the first threat to the internal integrity of his house. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up teaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor, and uh, this is my namesake, Timon. Also, he's a little meerkat, I think. Um, <laughs> and Parmenas and Nicholas a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the numbers of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we know that you've given us this good word because you want us to keep receiving the good gift. You want us to see what you meant when you gave the church deacons and what you mean when you give her deacons today. Might we come into full agreement? May we come into full thankfulness that this is a gift and it's a good gift and it's a good gift from our good, good father. And might we say thank you for the blessing that you're raising up more and more servant leaders in our midst. In Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. First thing I'd like us to see is pretty simple. The early church had problems to face. Now, I wanted to, I wanted to add in that prepositional phrase, to face. They have problems to face. Every local church has problems, but most of them don't face them. They keep just sort of hoping they'll push them under the rug. And very often if we face them, we turn them into a power struggle rather than an opportunity to seek humble unity. Well, I want to say that every church has problems, and we got problems to face, and I think we should shift our understanding of problems tonight. If we got a problem, we're to face it, and we're to face it with the pursuit of humble unity. You might even say you could take this back to your households tonight. Every family has problems. 
to face. And the problems are an opportunity to pursue humble unity. So what were the problems they had to face? Well, I say their first problem was a very good problem. It was the problem of multiplication. It was the problem of multiplication. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, uh, the church, uh, you know, post-crucifixion post and burial and into the early moments of the resurrection, it seemed to be about 120 faithful. And then the next thing you know, they got 3,000. And the next thing you know, they got 5,000 more. And, 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 and by the time this is written, there's a scope of estimates that the church was up to 20 to 50,000. And you can find kind of intelligent arguments for either one. I don't know. If we had a, we got 120 that are usually here at East Rock, if we went to 3,000 overnight, whoo, my Jesus. And then if we went to 8,000 relatively overnight, my Jesus, my Jesus. And if we go to 20,000, I'm probably going to move to Ecuador or something. Right? I, I, you know, it will have to be very evident to me that God is doing it, and he's going to have to help me in Jesus' name. But this is a problem. Don't you see this is a problem? But it's a good problem. You know, I find myself talking to a lot of people as a pastor about their problems. And sometimes it's tough to see a problem as being a good problem. But this is a good problem. Now, you imagine suddenly, if you have the opportunity to care for some kids in your family, something's going on with a relative and, and, uh, and you've got to take their children in. We're tempted to only think of the problems, but that's a good problem. I mean, sovereign God has entrusted people to your care, human beings to your care, human beings to your influence. Now, wouldn't that automatically come with other issues? In our family right now, if we added another person, somebody would have to humble themselves about their bedroom situation, like today, tonight, because there's no extra bedrooms. Uh, uh, Rachel and Katie will have to, you know, uh, put their beds together like bunk beds. We'll just use some duct tape and stuff and, you know... I would immediately have to choose different pajamas. <laughs> so, so wouldn't this problem of instant growth where God was blessing us to care for people suddenly create all kinds of issues? You betcha. You betcha. And I think we should recognize that God was doing a thing here, and it was a good thing but it created problems. They also had another problem. They had a problem, the burdensome problem of complaining. Oh, my Jesus. Oh, my Jesus. Now, Vanilla Ice said, if you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. And he would say, you just pick up the beat while the DJ revolves it. Now, what do you do about complaining? Oh, my Jesus, what do you do about complaining? Uh, I can tell you, I never stop hearing it. Never. Uh, part of it's just the very nature of my job. Somebody always has an idea of what we should be doing, how to do better what we are doing. I mean... <laughs> I hear complaining all the time. Well, what was the complaint here in the early church? The complaint was that there seemed to be some favoritism going on in the charitable distribution. Well, if that's a true charge, it's a charge that needs to be addressed. 
But here's the thing. Was it a true charge? Well, that's the whole thing about a complaint. One has to investigate whether it's founded. And if it's founded, one has to address what's being complained about. And if it's not founded, you have to sing that very profound pastoral song. Do you all know it? I thought I told you to shut up. That was for Amber Allen. <laughs> Not telling her to shut up. It's her and I's favorite song lately. Isn't it Amber? Yes, it is. No, you don't. You don't. You know, like if Casey's complaining and then we find out his complaint is not founded. I, I don't just say, hey, Casey, you just got to, you know, shut your pie hole. <laughs> now, I use him as an example because, Casey, what will I say to you? Shut your pie hole. Uh, <laughs> No, what do you got to do? You got to say, hey, brother. I'm being dead serious. Hey, sister. Hey, sister. Where's the truth here? What's God doing? Do you see the source of your discontentment? Would you allow the spirit of God, the word of truth to come in and to set you straight, both in word and in attitude? Because what's happening when there's murmuring, when there's complaining, is there's a discontent in the attitude, in the spirit that erupts onto the tongue. Anybody done any complaining lately? Well, these things should not be so. So they had a problem of complaining. And they knew that the complaining, like all sins, it starts out as just this little baby, you know. And this sort of complaining probably was like this. You see, gave, gave them seven bags of grain, just gave us six and a half. You know how they are. But then what can happen is it begins to get repeated and multiplied, and pretty soon accusations are abounding and division is real. He had already, the enemy that is, had already persecuted this church from without. Go back to Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, where they were literally thrown into jail for preaching Jesus. The enemy had also uh, tried to introduce showmanship as a sin into the church. Go back to Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, who their sin is perpetrating. Right? You think that's just something young people do, but they, they, were, they were perpetrating. They were trying to make people think they were more holy than they really were. Any of you guys ever gone to church and done some perpetrating? I see one person's confessing. Thank you. I won't say any names. Initials, John Lockbaum. Um, me too, John. I, know, I mean, really. Sometimes it can be fairly innocent. Someone who genuinely loves me asks me how I'm doing, and I say what? when it's often very much a lie. Or sometimes I, I want to seem more holy than I am, more successful I am. I want to seem smarter than I am. Perpetrating doesn't always happen because you've sold some real estate and lied about how much money you made. So Satan had attacked the church from without through persecution, from within through sin, and now he's picking... A second tactic, it's notable that the second tactic also comes from within, divide. 
what is the old saying? Who knows it? Divide and. And it starts with just complaining. It starts with just complaining. This problem had to be addressed. Thirdly, they also had the burdening problem of ministry. Now, what do I mean by that? It means they had to keep caring for one another. They had to keep going. As God multiplied, as a matter of fact, they had to keep caring for who they got, and they had to care for new people. They had to continue to wrestle with resources and time and the flourishing of gifts. It was a big burden to keep going. It's a problem. It's a good problem. So there's the problems the churches face. I also believe the early church had priorities they needed to honor. I hope you guys notice it that in verse number two, these guys say, listen, 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 we, we can't give up. We can't give up preaching and praying. We can't give up. We can't. So how do we honor all of these priorities? Well, let's, let's identify what they are. First, they had the priority of teaching and preaching God's word. Now, does this mean that caring for people is less important than preaching God's word and praying? Yes, it does. Did I just say that? It is the primary care of every saint that they are taught from God's word, directed from God's word, discipled from God's word, and that they are lifted up to God's throne. Primary ministry. But does it mean the other ministry is not important? No. That's why they also had the priority of caring for God's people. Isn't that cool? There is both of these are high priorities. Are there other low priorities? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. These are the highest priority. As a matter of fact, I would say we're simply beginning to understand that caring for the spirit and the soul is always more important than caring for the body, but that we cannot forget to care for the body. Don't leave either thing off. That's, and you say, hey, man, where do you get this? Well, I don't want to chase the rabbit. Actually, I do want to chase the rabbit. I'm just not going to chase the rabbit. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount would say these really crazy things. He would say like, hey, so yeah, if your eyes are stopping your spiritual walk, it would be better to pluck your eyes out than to go to hell with your eyeballs. Jesus just told you the spirit is actually more important than the body. But he never said the body's not important. Let the church say amen. So what is God doing? Let's recognize the priorities. We need to care for people's souls. We need to care for people's bodies. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And do we have to do away with one to do the other? No, we don't want to do away with one to do the other. That's what's at risk. That's what's at risk. And so the early church had a precious gift from the Lord. A precious gift from the Lord. That's the third thing I want you to see. This is a precious gift from the Lord. And what is it? The command to identify deacons. They got these guys together, and he says, listen, listen. It wouldn't be bad. It would be, I mean, excuse me, it would be bad if the ministry of the word suffered because we weren't giving enough attention to it. You see God multiplying converts. People are coming to hear the good news that the blood of Jesus 
covers their sins. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees them life. They can find forgiveness through Christ, be made right with God, adopted into his family, and they can live with the expectation of heaven. We have to get this word out. And then these people are coming into the faith, and they need to know how to follow Jesus. Because that's what he told us to do. Teach them to obey all the things I've commanded you. We cannot let up on this ministry. We have to do it. But we also can't ignore these needs. Cue vanilla ice. One more time. And, you know, what did he do? He ripped the music. You know that, right? What's the first words of the song? Who knows? All right, stop. What else? Wow, the sinners are right over here. Yeah. Actually, it's a profound illustration. What do the apostles do? All right, stop. Let's work together. We can't stop hearing the word of God. And so then, anybody know what Vanilla Ice says next? Ice is back with a what? Now, how do I know this song? Because my bunkmate in 1991 played it 95,000 times. Or 1990. Whenever it came out, he, oh man, I wanted, he had a Walkman and an endless supply of batteries. I wanted to kill him. I, I hated that song, but, you know, after about the 50th time, I'm like, Now I know every word. <laughs> I'm being silly, but I hope you'll remember this. What did they do? They said, listen, no, we can't ignore this. Why am I belaboring it? Because I, I don't think we see deacons for what they are. They are a gift from God that God commanded the church to recognize. What a precious gift from God. They just stopped, got the whole church together and said, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. So how do they work this out? First, I would say they did it like this. They were called into a sacred communion, okay? Called to a sacred communion. He says, listen, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and wisdom, whom you will appoint to this duty. Do you realize that in those few words, he just told thousands of people, y'all got to work together. Y'all, I put out cloth samples one time to decide what color these chairs would be, and there were more picks than there were samples. <laughs> I'm not lying. Who laughing at me? It hurt. <laughs> we're not given to participation really easy, are we? But couldn't we see that a gift often will come when God's people will lay down themselves and take up the Lord together. So it's a sacred communion. It wasn't just they one with another. It was they together with the Spirit of God. And I'll go ahead and tell you, well, I'll get to it. I'm so excited about this one part. I'm kind of wanting to upchuck a little bit. But they're called into this, this neat thing where they're supposed to get together and seek the Lord's face. They're given some parameters for that seeking. You know, when, when you call a, a business meeting of the church, 
I often say we ought to call it a hisness meeting because we're doing his business. And whether we're facing like a budget issue or a crisis, wouldn't it be refreshing if we thought, wow, God is calling his people together because he's entrusting us to love him and love one another and work in a really dynamic, creative way to seek his face and work through the problem. I'm pretty convinced of this. It ought never to boil down to one group being able to outvote the other. I think there's something far more dynamic going on here in the scriptures. That's why I would call it a sacred communion. It's worth recognizing. Secondly, secondly, as they received this command to identify deacons, they were given special counsel. Now, here's something really important. Did you guys notice it? What was the special counsel? All right, you're supposed to, I think it's three things you need to recognize here. You know, they get some parameters from the apostles. The apostles are operating out of the scope of biblical revelations, wisdom. The scope, because that's what they're doing. They're teaching the apostles' doctrine. They're operating out of the scope of wisdom. They say, listen, number one, pick men of good reputation. All right. It's time for me to say something that if you don't know me, this might be a little shocking. So either buckle up or unbutton your britches, get comfortable. Everyone who's an East Rocker knows this about me. I'm a convicted felon. And unlike most people, I'm I'm guilty. Convicted. um, Had to serve. I mean, man, I, I... I thought some very harsh economic penalties, <laughs> very harsh. I still uh, am a little salty about how much they charge me <laughs> monetarily. Um, was given an incredible hundreds of hours of community service. Like this kid called me on September 9th and said, I need 24 hours community service by the 14th. And, and he and says, I just couldn't find anywhere to do it. And I said, I said my famous Greek word. What is it, y'all? Hogwash. I said, you, you bargained up the wrong tree. I said, I, I, I've had at one time 1,200 hours given to me. 1,200 hours. Don't come whining. You couldn't get 24 done, right? Just you're talking up to the wrong one, right? Side note, anybody know what they were really trying to do? If you can't pay and you can't get the work done, you know what happens to you? Probation is revoked and you go to jail. Overcooked, undercooked, jail. It was a setup, right? There was definitely a time in my life where everybody would agree, and me too, I was not a man of a good reputation. So are we talking about people who have a completely unsoiled, never made a mistake, never made an aerial reputation? Thank you, Ed Johnson. You're doing visibly the way my heart feels. No way, man, Right? There should be a difference in your life from when you didn't walk with the Lord and when you did walk with the Lord. And there should be growth in your life when you're walking with the Lord and you fail. I think it's very important that we say that. Men of good reputation, not men who had always done everything right, but men who presently, for some lengthened season, I'd say, had a good reputation. Secondly, they said, pick, pick men who are evidence 
through evidence walking with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to go here. I'm not going to go here. But if you wonder what that looks like, just start with Galatians 5. Just start with the fruit of the Spirit. Do you see that in somebody's life? Or do you see a growing element of that in our life? And then pick men who are known for wisdom. Just pick, pick people who are full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. Now, what does that mean? I believe it means two big things. They're God-fearers who search out the heart and mind of God when they make decisions. I mean, they know everything. And so then what does the church do as they're given this very, very special gift? They exercise careful choice. You could almost do a sermon series on these guys. You see their names. Pretty interesting that Stephen gets a little extra commentary. I think if you read through chapter 7 of the book of Acts, you'll learn why. I think he was an unusual brother amongst anybody's categories and should be regarded with high esteem with Elijah and Isaiah and Moses. He was a very unusual man. But they had to give a careful choice. Now, what would happen if a whole group of people bowed themselves before the Lord in worshipful dependence and lovingly worked together to seek his mind? What amazing thing would happen in that body? It doesn't even tell us that they came to these decisions overnight, and I don't think we should think they came to these decisions overnight. I'm almost positive this was a grueling decision. But they pick them. Amen? Amen, church? Philip and Prochorus, Stephen, of course, Nicanor, Timon, or Timon, or whatever the man's name is, Parmesan cheese, Nicholas. <laughs> and it's very interesting. They throw in these interesting word phrases, like, uh, just in case you missed it, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. He was likely, he was likely a Gentile. They throw in a couple of Greek names. In other words, they picked people from both sides of the argument. It's proof positive that I don't care how many prayer breakfasts the Democrats and Republicans are having, they ain't reading the Bible. Because if they really wanted to problem solve, they'd be a whole lot more humble. That's an aside. That one's free today. What a blessing. What a blessing. What a blessing to be given this great gift. I will say so far in our church's life, we have been given the great gift of two wonderful deacons. And I trust God that as he is adding, we will be able to say the same of these other men too. Last but not least, the early church had great multiplication from God. You say, man, didn't you say that already? I, I just wanted you to see that God knew the problem would be exacerbated pretty soon. He starts out saying, hey, the church is growing, and he ends his passage, verse number 7, and so they continue in the word, which is what they said they needed to do, and God continued to grow the church. Hallelujah, praise God. And if you had the multiplication, what did you have? You had more problems. Problems, 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 problems. Likely you had more murmuring, because murmuring like all sin, it's birthed fairly innocent, innocently, but it grows up to be death. That's what sin always grows up to be. What does God do? God gifts the church deacons because he plans to continue growing the church. He plans to continue growing the people in the church. So they've been suffering because of persecution. They've been suffering because of sin. They've been suffering 
because of conflict. And what does God do? God continues to grow his church. What is he showing us? That he is building for himself a people who are full of remarkable, incredible, contagious love. This early church shared their goods with one another. He's building among himself people who boldly speak the gospel, people who live counterculturally, and people who even win their sharpest critics. And in this community, there's going to be problems, and the power of the Holy Spirit, the goodness of God, continues to make his church not just survive, but to thrive. Don't we want that for ourselves today? Don't we see that we still need deacons today? The highest compliment I could give a deacon is this. They are charged by God to move among the people and minister to them. To bring the apostolic teaching to the people in the way they live and to bring the daily concerns to the ministers as they're living. There's no doubt in my mind that the only glue the church needs is the Holy Ghost, but he tends to stick right in his mix, men and women who are committed to serving him and loving others. And you heard me right, men and women. In the growing years, in the coming years, and in the growing years, the years that are coming and the years I expect East Rock Community Church to grow, I know that we will continue to need this gift. We will continue to be given the sacred responsibility to see and to select the servants of God who will be part of his glue mixture that not only holds this church together, but creates an atmosphere where the word can flourish and people can be cared for. We have to close with a question tonight, though. We have to close with a question. How do you know that you know that you're even in the family of God? The Bible puts it this simply. This is, this is his words John, from John chapter 1, verse 12. If you believe on that name of Jesus, you'll be adopted. You'll be, you'll be called, counted as a son or a daughter of God. Jesus is the key to acceptance into this family. And what was happening here in Acts chapter 6 is these apostles were faithfully teaching and preaching the word of God. God was adding adopted children, and they were being charged to care for them. But here's what we want to see happen here at East Rock. We want to see you be added to the faith. Have you, have you trusted Christ as your Savior yet? Have you obeyed your Savior into baptism? Are you faithfully engaged in a local church? And are you part of serving as the glue of God? Absolutely, he will raise up formal leaders, elders and deacons, deaconesses. He will absolutely raise those up. But the question is, are you too being added to the mixed? The Bible tells us very clearly, you can be adopted into the family of God. <laughs> Would you receive that invitation today? Man or woman of God. If you know that you know that you know that you know you're in the family, the question is, are you serving? And if you're not, repent. <laughs> repent. And begin to discover your place in the life of the church. I need you. We need you. We all need each other. Join the family. Take care of the family.
Father, as we stand and sing together, we see this beautiful gift you have given your church. In that first age of the church, and in all the ages since, you gift us with people who will care for our souls, care for our spirits, care for our minds and our emotions, care for our bodies. You long to place people in your loving family and to care for them. Even tonight, God, there be some soul who is yet to be adopted into your family. Give them that gift of faith and the sight and the strength to put it right where it belongs, in Jesus. Bring them into the household and then give us the loving hearts and working hands to care for them. In Jesus I pray, amen.